Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 453 is recorded live June 25th, 2020. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well today, thank you. And it's been a very, very pleasant day. I've, I've been locked inside. I'm, you know, the downside of things trying to return back to normal is it just means that I have less opportunity to see the outside. But it does, it does look pretty pleasant. I don't think we even had the air conditioning on today, which is always a good day. Yeah, I was out there chasing moleholes and uh, watering the grass a little bit. Uh, looks like we're going to have a good bit of rain coming up next week. And that Sahara sandstorm coming in, that's going to be interesting. I didn't hear about the Sahara sandstorm. What's that? Well, you know, it quite often has some real big blows when it comes across the Atlantic. And it's... Uh, they had a good old map on it today showing where it's going to be hitting, especially down south. And mm-hmm. it'll make its way up towards us a good little bit. Obviously, it won't be like you're in the middle of a sandstorm. But uh, it's going to be pretty hazy out there in the uh, southern climb down there in Florida, yeah. Mexico, those areas. Okay. But it might also make some nice sunsets if we get a little sand up here. Yeah, a little, little atmosphere, a little grit. Yeah. 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 Yeah, rain will take care of that, though. Uh, yeah, we, we were getting a little dry there, but we had rain, was it last night? That we had some, we had a little bit of rain, thunderstorms came through. and Night before we did, grass. I, I didn't get any last night. Yeah, last night, it wasn't supposed to rain last night, but if you looked at the weather, the radar, you'd see these little pockets moving, and it came right over us, and it was a little damp. Like today, they had quite... They had quite a few T-storms south of us today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, heavy rains, and they, but they just washed on through. Nope. Yeah, this this almost feels like we're in Florida. <laughs> that's, that's the type of weather I remember every time I'm down there. They seem to, you know, any storm, you just wait a few minutes and it goes away and it's nice again. Yes. Yeah. Well, we got a few people in the chat room tonight. We have Dave, Derek, and Karen in there. So thank you for joining us tonight. And let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. Don't have quite as many articles as we did. I, I just got uh, the episode recorded two weeks ago out. And that one, we we went over two hours. <laughs> we, we had plenty to talk about. I don't think we're going to stretch this one out to two hours. First one, um, I think we've covered this a few weeks now. But we have the DEMA New Orleans show has been canceled. No Bourbon Street parties this year for the industry. The DEMA Board of Directors has canceled this year's show for reasons of COVID safety. Uh, in November 2021, we'll return to Las Vegas with additional measures to ensure the health and safety of all exhibitors and attendees. I'm hoping by t- November 2021, we're, we're not uh, having to take as many precautions as we do now. 
Yeah, yeah, you better hope so. <laughs> the economy is yeah. going to be in the toilet even worse than it already is. Well, economy will be in the toilet, and then I predict uh, strangulations will be up. Because I, be, I know I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just I'm grumpier in general, just with this because it's things like, you know, it's like yeah, I can go a little bit longer, but you just don't want to. You just it's just it's enough. I'm done. Let's get it done. Uh, uh, coronavirus, uh, COVID nineteen scuba diving map. We covered that one before. With got Patty's got their map out there. Let's take a peek at it. See if they've got any new locations that have opened up. I haven't been following it real close. I looked at it when it first came out. Are things looking much better? I don't see yeah. where they are. Especially, it's not updated enough for the no. USA. Because uh, USA is, I mean, if you're in Arizona, uh, what Arkansas, Georgia, New Orleans, and parts of California, they're getting their butts kicked. I mean, Arizona today, depending on which of the four counties you're in, uh, I heard two broadcasts that they were 95% full in their uh, ER, ER wards already. Huh. Not looking I good. wonder... Well, I wonder, this kind of, you know, to, to talk about some theories, this kind of plays into the humidity because, you know, some of those places you mentioned I would think would be less humidity than, you know, like what we have. You know, Arizona and California I consider to be a little bit drier areas. So, Well, I got relatives in Arizona. Uh, her car today was 110. and. Uh, showed a picture of the mountain behind her, and they were all in flames. They've got some horrific fires going Ooh. there right now. Yeah. So not a fun time by Mother Nature in many aspects. Yeah, with looking at these green diving spots that they have in the U.S., there's not a whole lot of them. But I'm not – is there anything – I don't see any, but New York and Massachusetts – are the only two that are showing up in the map that I'm seeing are completely no diving allowed. The rest of them, it's with restrictions. Yeah. Let's see over in Europe. A lot of the overseas ones, though, are, it's like if you want to go to Australia, when you get there, plan on sitting out for two weeks because you're quarantined. Yeah. Right now, they're looking at France and Germany. The same thing is, if you're going to go in the U.S. and come over there, you're going to be sitting on your like hotel room for weeks. Yeah, I, I don't blame a foreign country for for doing that. I mean, that's one and another way of preventing a you know global Absolutely. transmission or reducing it. Yeah, yeah, you've got you've got it looks like Spain and Portugal are showing green, Italy, Greece, and Belarus. Uh, you know, Russia's getting hit pretty hard right now. You still um, don't see a lot of data see. on them. Um, they were having some high rates, but I, I think, you know, they're, they're, uh, have some elections going elections <laughs> with the Russian version of elections, uh, uh, going on. So I think there'll be a little bit of suppression of some of that data. I think the one that was, uh, it's currently active is whether Putin will get a lifetime, you know, just, just making them czars is pretty much what it's coming down to. Uh, but like Sudan, Zambia, 
Yeah. South Africa is pretty much diving is not allowed. Uh, looks like the Middle East, most of it is uh, allowed with some restrictions. India, no diving is allowed. Which, considering how big of an industry it is for India, that's a that's got to hurt. South Korea, it's it's uh, they're currently green. So yeah, Patty's got that map together. I just hope that they keep it up to date. Uh, as you as you're, as you're doing planning, you'd like to know. But there's this is all you're talking about whether you can dive there. As you pointed out, you have to be able to get there. If if they're not going to let you in the country, or they're going to let you in and quarantine you for two weeks. Uh, you better plan on having some uh, extra time, or you're from that country, so you don't have to try and get in. Derek saying, in my state, we've just had a huge spike from the security guards from the quarantine hotels catching it and taking it home and spreading it there. That's not good. Plus, uh, you're getting into your your winter, so you you, you may be letting us see what our fall is going to look like. Let's see what's the next one I've got on the notes. We've got uh, pyramids. This is a follow-up. Uh, pyramids discovered off uh, underwater off the coast of Cuba might be Atlantis. Uh, and this one's from Archaeology World. Uh, it's June 4th, 2020. Uh, and they talk about the remains of what might be a 6,000-year-old city immersed in the deep waters off the west of Cuba. Did we put that there in the chat room? This is uh, reported by a team of Canadian and Cuban researchers. Offshore engineer Paulina Zaletsky and her husband Paul Weinswig and her son Ernzo Tapinist. Oh my goodness, how many different last names does a family have? Use sophisticated sonar and videotape devices to find some kind of megaliths you'd find in Stonehenge or Easter Island. They said in an interview, some structures within the complex may be as long as 400 meters wide and as high as 40 meters. Some are sitting on top of each other. They sl- they show very distinct shapes and symmetrical designs of a non-natural kind. We've shown them the scientists in Cuba, the U.S., and elsewhere, and nobody has suggestions they are natural. Had suggested they're natural. Now, I'm going to stop you right there. Uh-huh. This actually came out in 2001. Well, I've heard of this before. We talked about this before. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was I got this again, and I, I'm looking at it because it said 2020. And I thought, okay, there must be an update. I went back to find out what we talked about. Everything we're talking about here came from 19, or uh, 2001, same verbiage. So I got here, and I'm trying to figure out what's the difference. And there is none except. If you go down and start looking at the history from 2006 to 2008, then you get into some conspiracy theories that she went out and she had she had money spent to go out here and do this survey. After it came back, people were looking at it. The contract for National Geographic, they canceled it, which is highly unusual. The funding she was getting from another organization canceled their funding. And uh, so she raised, I think it was $2 million on her own to go back out. She went back out to the area. 
was trying to drop cameras on it, because you're talking 2,000 feet of water, and then you don't hear anymore. So all you've got is this. Well, then I, I started thinking, that's really odd. If you really found this with this kind of structure, people are going to be all over it. You're going to have people paying you money to go out there and do this. So the bottom line is it gets into um, underwater city, UFOs. Uh, if you go by the dating of this, it was pre-civilization as we know it. Right. It, was, it was prior to the wheel being invented. So how could it have been, you know, that old? Not to mention, what was the water level out? You know, water level when this was built. So it was, it, the bottom line is, it's fun to look at, look through it yourself, and uh, make your own determinations because it was supposed to have been looked at by the United States Navy. And that is why when she went back on her own, uh, she was basically said, go away, keep your mouth shut. And the Navy was supposed to have been out there for several months finding all sorts of stuff, and they clamped the lid on it. Now, my point is, right there in Cuba's backyard, I don't think they're going to clamp the lid on a damn thing. Because Fidel was still living back then. He's going to jump right into this and say, what the heck's going on? That's my country, my my territory. Mm -hmm. So it, it remains to be seen what it really is. One would think that to get rid of any kind of debate, it's... 2,000 feet, submersibles can go that deep, bore the one from the Titanic, take that little sucker down, and get rid of the controversy. On one hand, a lot of the geologists and stuff say it's a wave actions have actually pitted the groundings and the land around it to make these formations that look like a city. Well, some of the reports came back saying the, the pictures, which I've not seen and can't find, had writings on them that were not hieroglyphics, and they were quite unique. But the videos of that have mm. disappeared. The pictures of that have disappeared. Several of the people are no longer living who worked on that project. So it's, like, interesting. Well, but but wow. for them to kick this back up in 2020 is, is odd. So I'm not sure what the hell's going on. But it's fun to look at. It's fun to look at the research. And look at the controversy back and forth about who says the sophisticated gear we have now, as opposed to 20 years ago, could give you some definition of what you're finding. So hmm. people know there's something there. They know the pretty much, you know, the location. It would seem like somebody would go back with the modern equipment and say, yay or nay, thumbs up or thumbs down. Of course, unless it wasn't yeah. alien civilization on the bottom and they're keeping it quiet. Well, the aliens want their privacy. They don't want somebody coming hang around there. Uh, so you're you're saying that's two thousand feet down? Yep. Wow. So I'm it's trying to think of how long ago how long ago would it have to have been for that to have been above the surface? Because we've got uh, you know really old sites in Mexico that are five six hundred. Well, you know, that's got to be. Yeah, if you look at the picture of where Cuba is and where they said it is, that little section that goes over to the continent of Mexico, 
there used to be a land bridge mm-hmm. there. And if you're on the other side, you can find paving stones leading into the ocean. <laughs> oh. But the key item they were talking about here, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the dating estimates, if they prove correct, mean ancient civilization had designed, erected these vast stone structures only 500 years after human settlements first became organized in cities and states. They would have been built long before the wheel was invented in Samaria in 3500 BC, or the sundial in Egypt, the three pyramids in Giza, thought to have been constructed at 2900 and 2200 BC. And by the way, as a side note, I heard that there was some controversy about them, and they wanted them to be dismantled because they were built by slaves. Had you heard that part? No, I hadn't. So which ones are built by slaves? All the pyramids were built by slaves. They should be taken down. Ah. Now, of course, I'm hoping that's ah. tongue-in-cheek, but hey, who knows anymore? Political correctness yeah. is sweeping the continent. Well, I mean, to be a little bit off track from uh, diving, but there's been uh, a movement in Egypt to say that the pyramids weren't built by slaves. So that I've seen a few programs where I've talked about that, that the, uh, you know, that they were paid workers and professionals who were putting up the pyramids. When you start getting back that far, you're really looking at economy. Right. What is, you know, how, how does, how does an economy act? And then who gets to say what happens? You know, right. who, who's making the decision, pulling the strings, you know, whether you're paid for it or you're in some other means, you know, for us to apply modern standards to that, to something that happened mm-hmm. that far, you know, it's, a, it's, a, we, we lack some of the context and the nuance that's right. involved in, in that. Uh, the only other factor I thought was interesting about this one is the uh, lady that found it, her and her husband. Uh, one, she's a Soviet engineer who built submarine pens for submarines, side side note. Ah. But she is also the one who mm-hmm. found the remains of the USS Maine, the battleship that blew up in 1898 and started the mm-hmm. Spanish-American War. She's the one who yes. found the remains of that boat or ship. Yeah. So, truth, it's going to be interesting to find out what that really is. Then. Yeah, I, I'd like to find more information about it, whether it's uh, real or not. You can and find then Forbes. Go ahead. I was going to say, you can find a lot of different opinions and some people with some really interesting pedigrees discussing the pros and cons of electronic media looking for that kind of stuff, plus the um, the contents of the water, the water flows, the chemicals in the water, and how they actually can build structures. And it's like, okay, that sounds interesting too, but it'll be interesting yeah. to see photos that you can't recover now. Right. Yeah. Uh, th- that's what really gets it is when, uh, you know, stuff starts to disappear. Oh, and then uh, Karen posted uh, an article there in the chat room, uh, one that was PBS, a Nova special. Uh, here here we've got Forbes. Uh, robot divers could use artificial intelligence to save coral reefs. Uh, and just to kind of go, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Forbes likes to get a little wordy. 
and this goes on for a while. Uh, but kind of the idea is they're saying that, you know, as well-meaning as scientists and divers are, there's just not enough of us to make a significant dent. And that one of the solutions may be uh, using artificial intelligence and making drones to carry out the work. So uh, one quote is, we have to stop having coral biologists trying to stop this problem with PVC pipe and zip ties the way we've done for a long time. We have to challenge the assumption that coral reef restoration has to be performed by snorkelers and scuba divers. They say uh, we need to harness the power of automation, robotics, and artificial intelligence to allow us to work at the scales will be necessary to truly address this global challenge. Those solutions will not be available overnight, but we need to start inventing them now so they're available when we need them, while at the same time working hard with the tools we have available to make the change we can make and to begin to stabilize the system. And uh, they're eyeing technology that's currently being used by offshore oil and gas projects. Well, it makes sense, but, uh, I mean, part of it is you're going to have the funding. You know, is there the desire there to undertake a robotics program to do it? I mean, I'm for this. I would like to see an an army of these robots just, you know, doing mapping. You know, like our last article, if you had, uh, you know, 100 drones you just put in the water and had it constantly mapping the bottom, uh, we could get some, some good information. Did I lose you, Mac? I hear clicking, but no voices. Oh, are you hearing me now? Yeah. Okay. There's a while there. I didn't hear you. I asked if you were still there and you were gone. (laughs) Okay. So did did you have any thoughts on that from uh, robots? The only thing I made me think of is in the paper yesterday was they now have a, a robot basically they can flip hamburgers for $3 an hour and mm-hmm. they're looking at how they can automate it for multiple other items. And they went through and said, how, this is how much, how much it would cost you to have this facility built obviously with one person and it's doing all the work and how much you can make from it. And it's like, if you've got mm-hmm. the money, you're going to start using robots. I mean, the virus I, I think you're going to. Yeah, and it, and it's going to be a marketing tool. Uh, McDonald's did an automated restaurant. I believe it was in the early '80s. They they did a proof of concept, and uh, at that point, they the only humans were the ones taking the orders. Yeah, uh, robots are doing everything, but they they it was about a wash, the cost of labor, uh, what you saved in. Uh, high school students, well, you you had to pay back in uh, highly trained technical people to keep the equipment running. And they said the difference is that there's only so many hamburgers a you know an electrical engineer is going to eat, where a, a high school kid is going to eat those and then plus have his friends. So that was one of the reasons they cited to not doing it. But if you're doing trying to do low contact or no contact, 
and then you also have uh, labor challenges, uh, it's certainly going to make sense. Now, there was a robot earlier this year who was doing some cooking, and that place went under, and there was also a robotic pizza place that went under. But sometimes I think uh, it's a challenge of, you know, restaurants are hard. You know, they're, they're low-margin businesses. Then you have to, you know, work through all the details and then build up a brand. And, you know, just it being a robot probably isn't enough. So I think it's going to be in one of the established players who starts doing it. Uh, there, I remember the, one of the first McDonald's I had, one of the automatic fry cookers, mm-hmm. was there in South, South Bend. And those were the best fries. Because McDonald's has had worked out the exact condition of the oil, the, how long it went in, when it went in, when it got shaked, when it gets pulled out, you know. Uh, and with a human, you know, they're doing mul- they're multitasking, and you know, you've been in a McDonald's where the the buzzers are going off and people are running around. You know, that oh, yeah. five ten seconds, one way or the other, could can make a difference. So, uh, you know, with a, with a you know, robot and computers and sensors, you can, you can do a much better job. Uh, here we are on a tangent again. And then I got a, a friend who's a uh, chef, you know, works for catering for a university. And, you know, we, we were talking about robotics and, you know, he had some ideas and things that robots. He said, the one thing that's hard to teach somebody is how to cook at a grill because it takes some sort of eye and talent. Uh, but a lot of people don't want that as a career. So what you're doing is you're getting people in those positions who have less training and it's hard for them to have a consistent quality product. So we had even talked about, you know, uh, using uh, thermal sensors to, to check the meat and then having uh, projectors that would, you know, show them on the grill where they should be putting what food for what orders that were in and, you know, alerting them when they should flip it and do stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, it'll probably start off as some sort of augmented technology, but with what we got going on now, it can even drive that quicker. When you get a good fry cook someplace, you keep that fry cook for that same reason. Yeah. yeah Cause you know, I, I have to now. Yeah. Like when I grill, I've got to take temperature all the time because I just don't do it enough to get to where, you know, I can eyeball it. You know, after you've been cooking the same thing for, you know, couple times a week for a few months, uh, then I'm able to kind of go eyeball, but I just don't, you know, I hadn't done it enough to be right there how I like it. And then how's this for a, a shipwreck finding? Uh, it says geometry pays off in diving for sunken ship at Liberty Pond. And my screen just went blank. Okay. Here we go. It came back. Maybe it came back. No, it's it's bad at me. It didn't. Well, it's an interesting okay, article. Here we go. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it just came back. It, it's uh, you know, and they're talking about you know the history of geometry, but uh, what they're talking about is that there's these remote controlled model sailboats, and they're racing a few days earlier, and it suddenly sank. It, it, it flooded and went down to the bottom. So the uh, the people kind of did a sighting. They they sighted it against uh, the trees and where they went, it went down. And so they could tell a diver where to go get it. And they must have been better at it than anybody who we've worked with with trying to find keys at a dock. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> because uh, they said the guy said he uh, visibility was only about six inches. The diver when he went down. Uh, so they, the 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 people on shore they said uh, quick thinking sailor was able to visually align the boats last viewed location with trees on both shorelines in a straight line viewed from two separate offset locations at the pond maybe 50 feet apart. They know from their high school geometry, the intersecting lines form an X marks the spot on the four acres water, hopefully directly over the boat. Returning the next day, uh, the diver Mike swam to the pond, anchored a buoy at the, oh, it wasn't a diver. It was the one of the guys. He swam in the pond, anchored a buoy at the point where he figured the line of sights intersected. A day later, with a written city permission to hand, Mike and a local scuba diving instructor, Nate Northrup, we're back at the pond. Nate experienced diver explored shipwrecks in the Caribbean and Lake Michigan for this unusual assignment to find a small scale Titanic. He planned to do a grid search by compass. The water is a comfortable 76 degrees, he said, but visibility was poor about eight feet down on the bottom. Wow, that's, that's, you're probably dealing with some algae then. Uh, for an unusual assignment to find a small scale Titanic, he planned to do a grid search by compass. Um, visibility only about six inches. He soon found the boat sitting upright in the muddy bottom, very near the spot where the buoy anchor led to the bottom of the pond. Uh, we were worried we'd never find it, said Mike. So when Nate brought it up, we went from anxiety to exhalation for a split second. They said uh, he had to clean it up and dry out the two small waterlogged electric motors in the hull, which power the sails and the rudder. The boat is fine, has already returned to. Uh, as a racing threat. I don't know how you're going to do a compass one in that kind of environment. To me, I'll just like to put the buoy down with a huge weight and kept doing that circle. And uh-huh. Then you broaden the circle, you broaden the circle, and you're always going to hit it because if nothing else, the line's going to catch it. Yeah. Well, that, and then also if the mast is up, you know, if it, if it came down... It'd be interesting to, to to test before you went down there to see how do how do one of these boats rest in the bottom when they flood? Do yeah. they is there a particular orientation? Because they come up with the uh, sail up, then you could just do a, a you could put twenty thirty feet of line out, and then you have a chance of snagging it if you've got a, a sensitive touch and you could tell. But uh, cool, yeah, not not all shipwrecks have to be huge. <laughs> That's a pretty that's a pretty good sized boat there. They show them lifting yep, it out of the water. Picture. That's a nice picture and the uh, one below it where they have the. If you did not know that was RC, you would look at it as a normal flotilla. True. Yeah, you, you certainly wouldn't be able to tell. I mean, everything's to scale. Other than that, that would those would be large rocks on the shore there. Yeah, that guy was pretty hefty too. Who's did you get to the third picture down? Yeah, where he's in the shallows. Yep. That's pretty good size. I wonder how much money he's got invested in that little boat. It's a couple of dollars, I bet you. Yeah. More than a few. You can usually tell. Uh, the more gray hair, the more expensive. Yeah. Yeah. The young kids probably can't afford it. But my grandfather, uh, when he was a teenager, used to do this boat sailing up there in Holland. Uh, you know, was it Lake Manitowoc? Uh but what they would do is you would set, you know, you would kind of tie everything up with line and then you'd put the boat in the water 
and then you'd, you know, you'd have to chase it to where it would come eventually come ashore. So now with uh, remote controls, you actually have some ability to control it once it's out of your hands. Yeah. And then here's a show. I don't know if you saw this, but National Geographic had a series to explore two historic Lake Michigan shipwrecks on a new Chicago set episode. It was the Drain the Oceans, and they focused on Chicago, the two ships, the Lady Elgin and the Ralph Simmons. Uh, dive teams visited the who historic wrecks, digital technology used to peel back to waters Lake Michigan, get a closer look at the debris. Uh, the scenes were filmed in Chicago in September 2019, uh, and the episode was set to air 8 p.m. on Tuesday uh, this week, which is a couple days ago. And I did record and watch it, and uh, we know one of the people who was on the show. I don't know if you if you realize that they were going to be on there. Do you have any guess? Nope. Well, it was an archaeologist, and we had dove with her in the uh, river. She's come over at least. Oh yeah, once. yeah, the one who was over in England. Yep, Mallory Hess. I'll be darned. Yep, she was on it, and uh, nice job, Mallory. If you if you hear this or somebody. Uh, mentions it. Uh, it's 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 worth a look. You could, uh, you know, maybe they're they're trying to get younger people on some of those programs because you know a lot of times it's us old curmudgeons that they get on there, and it was nice to see somebody. And they she actually was doing some diving. She had some doubles, got there in the water. They were doing some side scanning, so there was that. And then also uh, Valerie Van Heest uh, was interviewed on. Uh, some of the details. What's interesting is when you're familiar with some of the content, be- because those, sh- those shows are always set up like, oh, it's this puzzling mystery and nobody knows. And then it looks like everybody's doing things while the cameras are there. You mm-hmm. know, we're just now thought to go to the archives and pull up all this information when in fact people have gone for years and known these stories. So it wasn't just because of that show that somebody decided to look it up, but still interesting and uh, worth the watch. I had some nice video of it. Let's see. Do they say what channel it was on? Cause there's all those channels. Well, I'm looking at the uh, clip from the Chicago set episode of national geographics of drain the oceans. And it's quite interesting. Yeah. And well, uh, they had a lot of good snippets. Yeah. Yeah, they had, they they also talked about the crib. Uh, yeah, some of it was a little bit light on the context, which I don't know if that's typical for Drain the Oceans, because I'd like them to they could they could have covered half as many items but covered them twice as long, mm-hmm. because they they were kind of glossing over things like when you when you talk about why the water cribs are out there getting the water in the sewer, but they completely left out that they changed the flow of the uh, river there. Yeah, and the only reason I think they left it out is they didn't want to have to explain it. So instead, they explain the other parts, probably a little bit more. But they they're they're all related. You can't really cover that without covering those other items. Now they did show something I didn't realize that they jacked up Chicago. Were you aware of that? When you say jacked up, they how, they how do you mean because of the water level of the lake coming up? Well, because what they did is they uh, they they talked about that there was cholera uh, was starting real bad because 
there's there's a moment in time when St. Joseph, Michigan was bigger than Chicago, Illinois, as far as population. But Chicago just took off, and it's because it's on that southwest side of Lake Michigan. And if you use the St. Lawrence Seaway and the Great Lakes, that's where you've got to go when you get back to the, you know, going west or the Mississippi. So it's this natural spot that just makes sense for it to develop. And then you had a lot of immigration going on. Uh, and what happens, you got that many people, the city growing that quick. Uh, you're getting water from the lake near the shore. And then people are pooping and it's going into the river. And that's going to lake and the water you're drinking. You just had all this problem. They, I think it, they were saying that one in 10 died uh, in a period of a year just because of all the disease that was going on there. Wow. Uh, so they, they had the engineer. They, had, they, they went and did these cribs out in the middle of the lake to bring the water out so it's not near the shore. Uh, they started working on uh, – you, know, you couldn't do a sewer because the water level in the city was only two or three feet below the surface. I mean, if you dug a hole, there was water there. So they determined they had to raise the city. So they literally took city blocks with 500 men, and each man was running 10 jacks, and they jacked up complete blocks of the city with cribbing to raise the city so that they could then uh, have a functional sewer system. Wow. <laughs> and that, that was a, hard. Yeah. So they, they covered that, and that was that – was, that was interesting, but I would have loved just an episode just talking about those items. Uh, but, you know, kind of drain the oceans, uh, you know, kind of their, their models that is to show is to find objects in the bottom and then, then show them mapped with it with, as if there was no water. Uh, so certainly interesting. If you uh, like to hear us talk about Lake Michigan and what's on it, that's one to watch. And even if you just go back and take a look at the uh, item itself that I was talked about and look at the videos, those are quite interesting by themselves. So there should be more of those coming up. That was the, uh, like the first episode for this season. And then a sensational 16th century shipwreck discovered maybe famous galleon. Divers in Italy have discovered a sensational shipwreck that officials say could be a 16th century galleon. The wreck was found near Portofino off the coast of northern Italy by professional divers Gabriella Succi and Endordo Sabrini. I'm sorry about the last name. Rasta divers who noticed wooden remains of seabed at a depth of 164 feet. The divers notified the authorities and took part in subsequent dives to explore the site with dive divers from the superintendency of archaeology, fine arts, and landscape in Italy's underwater was that Carabinery? In a statement that has been translated to English, the superintendency explained the research in the site is ongoing. Our officials noted the galleon Santo Spirito and Santa Maria di Lorato sank in the area in 1579. Divers have been attempting to locate the merchant ship since the 1970s. In a statement, the superintendency said it is a great interest in the wreck. Visible hull portions can be traced back to the wreck of the early modern age, of which very few examples are known today in the Mediterranean. Uh, Francisco Olivari, mayor of the municipal, municipality where the wreck was found, also posted images 
of the dive and the wreck site on Facebook. Maybe it's a camera angles, but he looks like he's got some. Are the those look bigger than eighties, don't they? I was, yeah. I was also curious about something. Mm-hmm. I was trying to remember when did you start using chain? I'm looking at the chain there that's on the ship. Back in the day, that would have been figure eight if that was a galleon. That doesn't look old enough to be that. Yeah, I agree with you. Chain. And, and Unless that's debris or fouled anchor or something, because you can see the yeah. rope on top. That's got to be, that's not an old rope either. No. So I no, was curious about that. Yeah. Yeah, certainly, because you, you're exactly right. That chain, I mean, that's a fairly modern chain right there. I'd say that chain would be in the last, let's say, 30, 40 years, maybe. Well, it can be older than that because Adam, bigger ships, battleships, and what have had the chains like that. But I would have expected something figure eight or different configuration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one guy is also, that looks like he's on a rebreather. And those are his extra gas bottles on the side, by the way. Yeah, yeah, you can see they were like this. This one you can see he's got a, a second stage hanging out there. So yeah, it's either it's to, a bailout or maybe some decompression gas. I, yeah, because I was looking on his back and it, I can't really tell if that's two tanks on his back and two on the right side for side mounts or not. But I don't see any bubbles. That's why I thought maybe it's still a rebreather. And it can't be too cold because <clears throat> it looks like his hands are, they don't have mitts to have or you know, like we would for cold water, it's right. got to be a warmer environment. Used to. Yeah, that, that doesn't look like a rebreather, though. I mean, I'm I'm not seeing it as a rebreather, but it, it's hard to tell. This might be the angle because I don't really yeah. see a, a counter lung or anything. Yeah, and um, I don't see the hose, double hose or not. Yeah, Either way, and, he's got a lot of gas with him. Yeah. Yeah, at 164 feet, you're going to get a deco obligation uh, pretty quickly down there. It won't take too long before you start getting your decompression tables. Visibility looks pretty good, too. Yeah. Uh, They're they're lucky that way. They they usually have some pretty decent fizz. So, cool. Hopefully, we'll see some more information as it comes out. Yeah, the only thing that's sort of funny on that one, if you look at the conversations. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh, oh my gosh! But uh, oh, well, in, in the article they also talk about the other ships. They found the city of Stockholm, like six miles was from open water, and they were talking about. Um, well, I won't go into it. They talk about the wreck should be dynamited since the Spaniards practiced slavery. Oh gosh, it's everywhere. So, well, yep. Yeah, well, and some of this is just people trolling. Yep, I suppose. I, I think people are just trying to get other people worked up. Uh, and then, do we do we go into a conspiracy point of the show? Should I should I enter there? Why the heck not? Yeah, why not? People people are used to it. I I've been looking at some of these. I, I think most of the people in many of these activist groups are well-meaning but maybe under-informed. You know, right there, he's going to get a bunch of people upset. Uh, 
But when you look at some of the people who are organizing and leading this, uh, many of them are self-proclaimed Marxists. So why, why, do, why do they care? I mean, why is somebody who that's their thing? Um, I think a lot of this is that uh, they don't care who's right or wrong. They just want chaos. Because you, you can't do a uh, Marxist revolt without people being completely out of control and upset. It has been a strange couple of months, I will say that. Yeah. So I, I think people have legitimate reasons to be upset and feel that they haven't been listened to. And, you know, perception's reality. So whether it's true or not, I mean, if they perceive it that way, that's a lot of what they're going to see. And, but then when you see this in comments, is that is that somebody who actually believes that? Is that somebody who's trolling? Is that somebody who's being, you know, because you have to look at all the, in you know, the, to be very U.S.-centric is, uh, you know, there's a lot of governments who would love to see the U.S. just implode. So if you can go and get somebody, if you can work somebody raw and get them to do something crazy or be disharmonious, then, uh, you know, that's a win for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just going through some more of those comments, it's like, oh, my gosh. It's like it's there like everything that's it. Yeah, they're, they're talking about, uh, you know, the NASCAR and, uh, yeah, so. Which was much ado about nothing, fortunately. Well, and then the person who's, who reported it and said it was something is now – claiming that it still was something so yeah uh, i don't know I, I mean every everybody's now the whole the whole news cycle is can you keep yourself in the news yeah so you've got uh you know people talking about conversations that they had 15 years ago that were published and the people who said inappropriate things uh things got punished 10 years ago and now it's coming back, and they're like retrying them again in the public courts. You know, it's like, should you lose your job? You know, that many times take somebody's ability to earn a, a living. But, you just yeah, be definitely put on Facebook. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I I just you know you're going to see food and dog pictures from me because nobody wants to hear it. You know, they're. Yeah, anything you say that gets put into their feed, into their feed, they're not on Facebook to have a conversation. There's so sorts of things that it's, it's gotta be extreme one way or the other. There can't yeah. be nuance. And that's the problem. That's why I go back to the, to Marxist or other political agents who are really <clears throat> just in, enjoying this. And well, you know, they're, they're not letting a, uh, a crisis go unused. You know, if they can take advantage of the situation, they're going to, maybe they didn't start it, but they're certainly going to take advantage of it. A relative of mine today put something on Facebook. Uh, she mentioned that she had a, you know, a call from the FBI and they wanted her to call back, blah, blah, blah. And that's like, yeah, they called my husband's number to tell me to call the FBI. The FBI would have my number. And then a couple hours later, Posted said, "Oh my God, it was real." 
And then she went ahead to explain what the deal was, that she had reposted something from a friend, and somebody took exception to what the friend had said and reported him to the FBI because they considered it a threat. Yeah. And she said, her other comment was, whatever you put on Facebook stays on Facebook and goes around the world. Well, uh, law enforcement, and it's one of those things you, you, you hate to think it has to come to this, but if somebody says they're going to do something on Facebook and then they go and do it in real life, you know everybody's going to jump on that law enforcement agency saying, hey, you could have gotten it. So there are tools that are available that law enforcement can use to go through all these feeds. Well, you have that's, no- that's, we're going to have to stop at this one because this goes into that aspect of should they have the access codes for the back doors for your your uh, security systems? Yeah, your encryptions. I don't think that's their business. They have no use for that code. Well, no, they'll I- only use it when they need it. Well, when does who determines when you need it? Well, we've already seen with the catch here. Now, now we're going way into it. But we've already seen with these FISA courts that their desire is to not require a warrant. Yeah. And we have had law enforcement and the judicial system has decided that there are certain times when, for expedience, they will come up with ways to streamline this. And the problem, this is all 100% unconstitutional. And eventually it does get rectified. But in the meantime, in the meantime, it might be 20, 30, 40 years we've got these broken policies. We're still, since 9-11, we are, there are certain laws and rights that have been suspended because of that emergency that Congress uh, keeps extending some of the uh, powers that have been given. So when you want to blame one party or the other, they're both together on that. They both ganged up and said, here's what we want to do. So I guess it's pretty easy nowadays to get off on a tangent. Oh, it, it well, everything's a tangent. Well, we got two items left. What, lightning safety? I always like that one. Yeah. Well, let's, let's knock out this first one where they have the Lake Michigan shipwrecks, a training ground for sheriff divers. Um, this is the remnants of a ship that sank during the most disastrous day of Lake Michigan shipping, taking 24 souls with their made a unique training ground recently for West Michigan first responders, the wreck of the SS Anna C. Mitch, which sank in November 11th, 1940, near Pentwater, was the site of diver training for Oceana and Nuevo County Sheriff's Departments, the Pentwater Police Department, and Michigan Department of Natural Resources. It is one of three wrecks of three ships located between the Big Sable Point and Little Sable Point lighthouses that sank during the Armistice Day storm that claimed nearly 60 lives. It's a useful site for practicing rescue and recovery operations around difficult structures and terrain, which are often what face law enforcement divers, said Oceana Country Sheriff Craig Mast. Training in the wreck is kind of a unique experience, said Mast, whose office hosted the training last week. We try to get more guys that don't always have exposure to lake to Great Lake wrecks the SS Annecy Mitch, a 380-foot steel Canadian steamer built in 1903, was carrying a load of lumber when it got caught in the storm. Its entire crew was lost when the ship was torn apart around 4 p.m. 
and sank about one and a half miles south of Pentwater. Matt said he has done training diving for Anna C. Mitch, which he said covered with sand and zebra mussels. The two sections of the ships are located a tenth of a mile from each other. Also during that storm, the SS William B. Davok, a 420-foot American freighter steamer built in 1907, went down sometime afternoon after a broken rudder jammed and broke the repeller, leaving the help leaving it helpless in the storm. All the, all 33 of its crew members went down to the boat in 200 feet of water. The 253-foot Canadian freighter SS Novadoc, built in 1928, broke apart running aground at 7 p.m. and sank close to Pentwater shoreline with a crew of 19 aboard. Two crew members perished in that accident. The storm created the most disastrous day in history in Lake Michigan shipping, according to Miss. Michigan historical marker in Pentwater, 59 died, and bodies washed ashore throughout the day. And while rescue efforts continued for three days, the marker states the three Pentwater fishermen later were recognized by the American and Canadian governments for their bravery in rescuing 17 members from the Novadoc. The Minch and the Novadoc used to be standard diving back in the 70s because it was still in a lot better shape than it is nowadays. (laughs) The weather has really beat it up in the last 40 years. Yeah. But back back in the day, those were too common ones to go die. If you had a boat. If you had a boat. How deep were they? They were fairly deep? (laughs) No, they're shallow. Okay. They ran ran aground and got beat up. The, The big one, you know. Davik was the one that's about 200 feet down. That was a tech dive, but most guys didn't do that. Back in the day, 200 feet, they did on air. Yeah, so you're you're getting a little bit of uh, narcosis going. Big time. Yeah. Uh, the pictures are pretty good, too. Yeah. So they spent some time finding pictures. They're not, they're not all from... Uh, this dive, but they uh, are of the wrecks that were there. Right, representative. And then lightning safety. It says reduce your risk when shelter isn't available. Thunderstorms occur during every month of the year in the United States, but summertime has more lightning strikes and death than any other season. In fact, from 2006 to 2019, more than 70% of the annual lightning deaths occurred in the months June, July, and August. Unfortunately, four people have already been killed in the United States by lightning strikes in 2020. Not only are summer months the peak of thunderstorm season, but they also tend to be more people out venturing outside and out in the water. If you're planning to take your yourself outdoors this summer, be sure to stay aware of thunderstorms in the forecast. Avoid being outside when storms are possible. Sometimes avoiding thunderstorms is difficult and nearly impossible especially when your plans take you outside over multiple days. You'll never be safe outside in a thunderstorm, but there are some trips that will help reduce your risk of being struck by lightning if you can seek shelter inside a well-built structure. So then they talk about camping, hiking, and other wilderness activities. If you're hiking and can't make it back to your car or a sturdy structure, head downhill and away from peaks or ridgetops. Do not stop moving if you're in an exposed area or open field. Avoid open shelters, picnic pavilions, caves, and tents. They are not safe and may increase your chance of being struck indirectly or directly by lightning. Stay away from water, including low-yield areas and puddles. Take shelter in groups of small trees. 
among larger trees. Lone large trees and small groups of trees should be avoided. Shed all metal objects you may have, including frame backpacks, trek poles, camp uh, crampons, jewelry, and pocket changes. Last resort, crouch down the balls of your feet, keeping them close together, and cover your ears. This position is called the lightning crouch. is last resort when lightning threatens. If you feel hairs on your head, legs, or arms tingling or standing on end, it means electrical field of lightning may strike, may be in place. If you feel this, take immediate action to reduce your chance of being struck by lightning. Move away from tall conductors of electricity and adopt the lightning crouch position. If you're camping near your vehicle or structure with plumbing or wiring, get to those shelters immediately. Stay inside for 30 minutes, the last rumble of thunder. They say this. I'm trying to remember all those times. I've been camping in a tent in a thunderstorm. But, I mean, they're, they're dead on, on on these recommendations. Well, a couple of items I'm, I had not heard about. Why, if I was deep in a cave, would I have to worry about lightning? I don't know in the cave one. Are they saying That's, that? I would think that would be fairly safe being in a cave. I, yeah, you're underground. I mean, you're definitely at the low point. <laughs> well, it's grounded. Uh, why would they say a cave? So cave I was curious about. And is, uh, is it like if you know it's a cave in a mountain, would would it arc across the cave? Is that the idea? I've been caving in in the mountains and I can't figure out why caving is gonna be an issue. Well to me what's the difference between a cave and a and a uh, storm shelter? You know, like uh an old cold storage or uh, fruit cellar. Well, it's going to be pretty much grounded through the body of the of the building. You might get some damage right. from on the building itself, but you're going to be fine. Yeah, but or, you know, if you do, do the old, uh, um, you know, because you used to have them out in the yard. I mean, the, you know, you you had the fruits, the food store. You know, you go into, you know, it's built into the hill. You go into it. I mean, that's almost like a man-made cave, and that's what we used to always go to. So yeah, the, the part I really like though is the. Uh, Issue that if you're out in a boat, the key items there is if you've got a boat that's got a cabin, get in the cabin. Stay away from any electrical outlets, metal items on the boat. Turn your radios off. <laughs> uh, and generally on sailboats, you've got a mast that goes down, down to the keel, and you've got a good ground line. So if it hit the mast, it's going to go down, easiest path, the ground line. So you don't want to be part of that ground liner itself. The other part I thought was good. Did you see the other one? If you're in the water, what should you do? So if your boat has a cabin, stay inside, avoid touching metal electrical devices. If it doesn't have a cabin, stay as low as you can in the water. And yeah. definitely take your dive flag down. <laughs> yeah. Well, it says take if you're your scuba diving, down. yeah, they say that you're safer diving deep into the water for the duration of the storm or as long as possible. Right. I now when when lightning hits the water, what it's going to do is just bite in a radial fashion. Because you're saying, well, how come the fish don't get electrocuted? If they took a direct hit, they would be. But they suggest that deeper than twenty feet, thirty preferable. You go down at least that low and don't stay on the bottom if you're shallow. And mm-hmm. they said if you've got twenty or thirty minutes, generally the storms will pass you by. Or they'll be out of ways from you that you could get out, and then it's safe to get to land. I mean, if you're in the middle of an active storm, it doesn't say active 20 minutes storm. 
Not typically. So they're saying go down. Now, of yeah. course, I do have a war story on this. Well, go for it. I'm out at Pawpaw. Lousy day, rain. I'm diving, looking for bottles. And I'm in the weeds. You know how when you're mucking, you're 10, 15 feet at most. And I'm down there around. All of a sudden, this big flash. I'm like, what the hell is that? I'm looking around for the guy with the flash camera. You know, because it's, I didn't hear nothing. So I'm continuing my mucking around. I said, damn it, where's that guy with the flash cube? So I said, I'm going to come up and see where he is. So I sort of made my way back up and I'm looking around, lightning like a son of a gun. I go back down, says, not a good place to be. <laughs> so when I got, when, when it went away, because I went away from where I was at, I went deeper. I tied off my line and did not hang on to it. Yeah. It's like, why would I hold on to a lightning rod? Not a yes. good Yeah, the so high I, point on the water is your dive flag. Yeah, so I, I, I let that away from me, and I waited that 20 minutes or so, and then I got my ass out of the water. So I looked that up, so I was curious what has occurred. I read one article that indicated that if you were in the water as a diver, and you noticed that you were sort of glowing, meaning you have got a charge, a residual charge from a strike, what you do is inflate your BC and you kick your fins on the surface towards shore with your head towards shore. So if you were to hit the line or the shoreline and discharge and it were to make you unconscious, your head would be, you'd be shallow, you'd be inflated, your chance of survival would be better. I had not heard that, but it does make sense that you could pick up a charge. But I would think you would dissipate it as you move through the water because, I, you know, if you've got sterile water, it's not going to be a big deal. But we don't. It's got contaminants. That's why yeah. you might do something. By the same token, then I looked up, well, what if I'm in the water and one of those high-voltage lines fall down into the water? And it's the same thing. If their breaker doesn't go, you need to be a long way from that water. Especially if it hits the ground, because now you've got a ground current. And then we've already talked about the electric current from our flooded docks. Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't take but a couple of milliamps in the wrong time to make you incapacitated that you're going to drown. Yeah. Well, and it all depends on where the current's crossing. Yes. It doesn't take much current across the heart, and you're done. Yeah, Um, yeah. Well, that's why they always say put your... They're saying if you're in your car and you have a power line on top of your car and you got to get mm-hmm. out because you're going to die because your car is on fire, the key item they talk about is when you open the door and you jump, you keep both of your feet as close together as possible. If you can land on both feet, one on top of the other, that's good. And I used to teach that course, and I've got a, a picture of high voltage hitting the ground, and it's an undulation of waves. That if you put your foot in here and a couple of inches away, you got a difference in potential, goes through your foot, through your body, comes out to the other foot. You got both the feet in the same potential, you got a lot better chance of not getting killed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've been hit by lightning indirectly once. And I've been within 10 feet of a tree hit by lightning two or three times. Well, remind me to stay the hell away from you. Yeah, 
And I actually did have a friend who I was never with him when this happened, but he had been hit by lightning three times. Well, if you go to the Grand Canyon, <laughs> talk to some of the, the the guides there. The one guy had been hit seven times. And he says, whenever a storm comes up now, he goes indoors because seven is too many times. It's like, I can't <laughs> believe somebody could be hit seven times. Yeah. Obviously well, not a direct hit. Otherwise, he'd be towed. Yeah. The time I got hit, and it's it's I'm, I'm sitting within about 10 feet of where it happened. I had just gotten out of the shower, and I was uh, at the sink, and maybe I was shaving. And I was, I was thinking I was fine. And I had the water running. And as I went to put my hand under the water, lightning hit a tree, which is probably, it's in the tree line, which is like 20, 30 feet away. And it arced up through the running water and hit my hand. You are one lucky son of a gun. Yeah. And it was, I mean, in it, there had to not been much left in it. Because it it wasn't much worse than the electric horse fence when you get hit by that, but you know when lightning hits you that close, like normally you you see the flash, and then you hear the sound and you can count how far away it is. Yeah, this one, everything happened at the same time. There was the bright light. There was I felt the zap, and then there was the sound, and it was all simultaneous. And you know, if I had been wearing underwear, I would have had to change them. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so that that's that's mine. And then there's been times when I was at a kid, uh, we were in a car. It was actually scouts. I think I think almost all the other times was scout related. When I was near lightning, uh, we were heading to scout camp, and we were all in the car, and it was raining. Uh, there's only been like two times in my entire life when I've gone camping that it has not rained. So I was used to it. <laughs> and we were, we were all in the car and I was looking the opposite way from where it hit, but it hit the tree next to the car. All the bark from the tree hit the side of the car. It was like somebody just took that bark and as hard as they could through it, hit the car. And I didn't know what happened. Everybody else who was in the car was facing the other way. And we're like, wow, that's cool. And the kids are jumping out of the car and, Parents are screaming, get back in the car. Yeah. Yeah. Fun times. Yeah. 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 Well, Well, it doesn't outright kill you. (laughs) Well, that's like, you know, you really shouldn't be in the the tub or taking a shower when there's a lightning storm. Uh, I'm, I'm bad for that because it's like I can hear the lightning coming, you know, the, the storm coming and I'll pull it up. I'm like, Oh, I got, you know, I just got to get it in because, you know, I, I I don't like being late for work. So there's times where I've done the, I'll, 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 I'll get the water running. I'm soaping. And then I'm making sure that I'm standing on one leg. Because <laughs> <laughs> if it's going to hit me, I, I, I don't want it. Uh, like, because yeah. you, you've heard that story too. Like electricians say, if you have to work in an electrical panel, that's, it's wet. Is like the lift one one leg, and then the leg that's on the ground is the same side of the hand you're you're working with. Yeah, yeah. So, 
all, all these things you shouldn't have to do or you shouldn't do. It's better just to avoid it. Uh, oh, and then I had uh, an in-law. He was driving a van down the highway, and his van got hit by lightning, and he didn't realize it. Uh, everybody in the highway next to him was, like, waving him off the road. So he couldn't figure out what these crazy people wanted. And he pulled off the road, and they're like, you okay? And they, they said that the – and you could they said you could see it on the paint. You know, it had, it had actually charred the paint. But, you know, you're, you're in a steel vehicle. It just goes all the way around you. So, yeah. So it didn't even mess with the radio. Yes. Remind me to stay away from you in a storm. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that yeah. if you're on Karen's boat, she's going to make sure you're way down in the bowels of the earth, or she's going to have you hold, hold the anchor and then let you get off the boat. <laughs> yeah. That would be another thing. You do not, I do not want to be going down the anchor line uh, in a storm. Yeah. I, yeah. We'll get in the water. Yeah, and then Derek in the chat room saying he was in a commercial flight from Melbourne to Sydney and saw the wing get hit by lightning. Now, I've yeah. never observed that. I've been lucky in flights. Yeah, it's yeah. rare for me. Flight. Kathy was coming back from Florida, and it hit the wings. It, said it got everybody really excited in, in the aircraft. And uh, I've been in there a couple of times, so we've got hit. But they're built for that. But mm-hmm. still, it, it, it'll get your uh, adrenaline going. Well, if you look at the uh, uh, air, not aircraft, uh, rockets, and you look at like SpaceX and Boeing and their rockets, they've got these towers that are taller than any of the others, and it's just to uh, uh, draw the lightning. In fact, that's one of the considerations for deciding when they're going to launch or not, because yeah. uh, that's happened. I think the sh- space shuttle get hit a couple times during flight. It's interesting. I've- yeah. I've worked at the uh, 765 KV yard on a really humid day, and you walk in there, and all the hair is on your arm is standing up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, one, you don't take an umbrella. Two, you don't put your hand above your head. <laughs> or are you, are you doing, you're coming close, you put your hand up, and you can watch the hair just stand up on I never well, did I can like remember. Yeah. I can remember doing some canoe trips, and uh, you—they uh, had the very, you know, the the high power lines going over, and uh, you, you almost swear you could sense it because you, you, you there would there would be a noise that the lines are giving off as you were canoeing underneath them, and it was it was that same type of thing—a really humid day. Makes you wonder. <laughs> Well, that does it for scuba news and a little bit of light, lightning story. Uh, let's see. Did, do we know if anybody got any diving in this last week? It looked like we had a thirsty Tuesday. Is that is that they're Tank, calling them now? Hey, tankful, tankful Tuesday. Tank, tankful. tankful Tuesdays. Yes. Tankful. Okay. Uh, yep. We had one over at uh, Little Paw Paw. Um, people had not been there for a while, and uh, Kurt was there, and... Karen and Barb, and Karen and I got wet. I spent most of my time playing with my metal detector, and Karen went back out there and upheld the the honor of the club by making sure she found us a obligatory golf ball, plus other little trinkets, including a very nice anchor, and silver golf balls, shotgun shells. Uh, 
lots of good grubbing stuff. Uh, and I think everybody was pleasantly surprised. The beach was very nice. Uh, the access was good. If that had been a weekend, you couldn't have got on there because it gets jammed in the weekend. And we're thinking of tentative right now of doing the uh, North Pier next Tuesday. Oh. Based on the weather, mm-hmm. we were talking about gathering over at the Whirlpool place, hopping into a truck so we don't have to pay one because you got to pay to get in there. Put all wow. the gear in one truck, go to Tiscornia, and uh, go do a dive. I haven't dove there for a couple of years, so that would be fun to do. Yeah, I haven't done the. That's a tentative. Same, yeah, that'd be interesting. I'll have to think about it. I've I've got something on Tuesdays, but maybe I'll find an excuse to not do it. Well, it was nice. I mean, Kurt knew he wasn't going to dive because the last time he dove over in that area, it was not really um, a friendly time. But he came to support the club, which is always nice. It's always good when you got shore support. And of course, certainly, them come. You know, they got the four wheel cart. They got the changing room. They bring with them, as you know, all the comforts of home. And they even had a porta potty. So, what more could you ask for? Tom, there you're, you're. You're set. Yeah. Now Derek's putting some of those terrible photos on the I Discord. I I just don't understand how you can find those animals like that. Oh, look at that! That looks like a puffer fish. Tuss. That's a cool one there. Yeah, puffer and then some sea sea what are they, those sea dragons? Dragons? Wow. Is that a sea dragon or a seahorse? I don't, can't I can't I thought it was a sea dragon. Oh, he said a, a cowfish is what he's saying. That's a cowfish? Huh. Wow. So what's the a big weedy one? sea dragon, yep. Okay, what is what is the big one a cowfish or a puffer? I don't have it. Says a cowfish, it says a cowfish, not puffer, oh. same family. Oh, huh. I'll be there. It, it, it looks like one, it looks like the, uh, the, I know you said cowfish, but it looks like the puffer from Finding Nemo, doesn't it? <laughs> so just how they draw them. Very cool. Thanks for sharing. Uh, do you have a dive safety story for this week? Oh, I think I do. Let me see if I can find my note. Well, actually, I have two little items I want to go through. Is is it going to be long enough? Well, let's just talk about the first one. I'm going to just play it by ear. Uh, It's called Beware of Your Surroundings. Irresponsible boaters can put you at risk. Texting two friends were snorkeling in their local lake. They were new to the sport. One of the tried for a planned trip to Hawaii. They knew there was boaters in the area, but they hadn't thought much about what would happen if one of the boats came close. They'd been told, and signs confirmed, that the area was designated for scuba diving and storm. Hearing a high-pitched whine, though, Tex looked up and realized he was in trouble. The diver. Tex was a 60-year-old male in good health. He was active, enjoyed outdoor sports. He took snorkeling, took to snorkeling quickly, and was comfortable in the water. He had just retired. The dive. Their three snorkelers arrived at the lake around 10 a.m. to try out their brand new gear before their big trip. Sky was clear, gentle breeze, a perfect day to be on the lake, and a few boaters were just getting started. Texans' friends parked on the gear. They noted the signs indicating this was a swimming area only, and that uh, boaters were supposed to stay 100 yards away, serve a no wake zone. 
There are also signs indicating this area was set aside for scuba diving. The accident. The snorkelers had been in the water about 20 minutes and were growing more comfortable with the gear. Instead of raising their heads out of the water every minute or so, they relaxed and were able to swim comfortably. As they swam, Tex heard a high-pitched whine, but wasn't sure what it was. The noise grew louder, and Tex raised his head to ask his friends if they heard it too. He was startled to see a large twin-engine speedboat heading directly towards him. Tex spit out his snorkel, waved his arms frantically, but it was too late. The boater wasn't paying attention, crossed the swimming area at high speed. The boat missed his friend, but hit Tex running over him with both propellers. One prop hit him on the head, the other just above the ankle. Another boat happened to have a doctor and nurse on board, got Tex out of the water, stabilized him, trolling the bleeding, and Tex was airlifted to a trauma center and had several surgeries, but he did, in fact, recover. The boater that hit him didn't stop, but was flagged down and sighted. The Analysis Divers learn that sounds travel more than four times faster in water than in the air. It makes it difficult to determine the direction the noise is coming from. Also, many people don't recognize the sound of a propeller. They imagine a boat sounds like an engine as compared to the whining noise a prop makes as it swims. In Texas' case, he wasn't trained as a diver, had never heard, never learned about sound or the situational safety in the water. Like many people, he purchased a mask, snorkel, fin, set aside from his sporting goods store, trying to sport for the first time. He saw the signs designating the area for swimming and thought he was safe. The accident was the boater's fault, but that doesn't mean we can learn. We can't learn from it. Divers, swimmers, and free divers and snorkelers have a low profile that makes them hard to see, especially from a moving boat. If the boat is accelerating, the bow is raised out of the water. They will not see you. As divers, we have learned to dive and we learn to be defensive. We were told to watch out for other divers and drivers and anticipate their mistakes. The same applies to snorkeling and diving. You got to watch out for boaters and potential problems in the water. Be ready to protect yourselves. Anytime you're diving or snorkeling, you should have a high visibility dive flag floating on the surface. And though boaters should stay 300 feet away, and divers should stay 100 feet within their their flag, they shall always respect what you don't know, meaning the diver may not, or the boater may not see you, and or may just be ignoring. Yes. From open water is to ascend slowly while rotating, make sure there's nothing on the surface to get you in trouble. It's a lesson that tends to slip away as new divers become more comfortable, still an important lesson for life. So, Protect yourself, be a defensive driver, diver, watch your surroundings, take precautions when boaters are nearby. Fly the flag, make sure boaters and divers can see you on the surface. Brightly covered clothing and dive gear is never a bad thing. Prep first aid, a good first aid course and solid first aid kit should automatically be part of your dive prep. That guy was lucky. Oh my gosh, yeah, when when he said he got hit by both props. Yep. Not too many people can survive that. I uh, I've told the story many. Yep. Yeah, I, I've told the story many times before, just of uh, you know uh, my family's experienced with uh, you know working in marinas for a long time. Uh, just about every body of water has people who are killed by props. 
boats. We had just and, finished and the drive at, at uh, Lake Cora. And this was back quite a few years ago when they had a barrier line out for the swimming area. And we had just surfaced. We were in that. We're talking six feet of water, getting on gear. We had a skier let go, come through there, hit oh. the guy with me, hit his tank yoke, and it, it was pretty funny. He had, had the yoke and the tank intermingled. It didn't, you know, badly hurt him, shook him up bad. But it's like, who would have expected a skier to let go and come into the swimming area? And then you to get hit. You know, and well, and I bet you that's not the first time that skier did it. I mean, I remember when I was doing water skiing, yeah, there was always the hot shots who liked to do something that was about as dangerous as you can do, but they would get away with it. You know, one example would be to be on the ski boat, they'd go to another boat. They, what they wanted to do was like step onto the dock or yeah. step onto a boat. Yeah. from the end so they you know that takes a lot of timing and coordination and you know yeah it wasn't their first time and they but it didn't take much to screw up for that to happen or to not see something there's no brakes on the on the ski so you know if there's say somebody's seven-year-old is there in the water and you just didn't happen to see him well you've just run him over so yeah that that little cool maneuver can have some consequences well, I meant at Gull Lake, and you know that's it's pretty deep. It's a no. They got part of it is a swim area. I'm down below, and all of a sudden this chain comes dragging by me by a boat, crossing over us, dragging an anchor with power on. Oh, that'll get, that'll yeah. get your attention. Well, it snagged the motorcycle that's down there. Drug that. <laughs> yeah, that's why the, the the lines to the motorcycle were not there. It's broke because it grabbed that, took it out till it let loose, and you know, come on out. We we went up, and it's like the guy is just oblivious to what he was doing and where he was at. Did he not realize he had the anchor line down? Was it? I, all I know, it was down, towing in the mud, and you're talking twenty twenty five feet. That's a lot of drag. Absolutely. There you go. So lightning and now crazy boaters. And skiers. Yeah. Well, you've always got the other one where you ever get snagged or hooked when you're diving. Or you come up and somebody's hauling your dive flag into the boat. (laughs) I think I've had that happen once oh, to my pull yeah. my flag. Yeah, because well, I you know, think I had somebody pull my flag once. I didn't like I. I was kind of oblivious to it, and then I came up a little ways later, and then the guy was screaming at me because he was accusing me of harassing his fishing or something. So nothing quite like a drunk fisherman. <laughs> I know that if I'm diving the piers and there are fishermen out there, there's lots of them I don't dive. <clears throat> but if I'm yeah, the early just, bird, if I'm the early bird, I go out and talk to the guys. Say I'm going to be here. I'm going to be coming down the because I usually stayed within 15 feet and they're casting out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if they see me coming. They because I'm throwing my flag. They just move their line over so I don't snag the yeah. line. Yeah. But I try it, to get on. It, it's, worth, 
I find mm-hmm. something. And it's worth doing that. I bring stuff up and say, do you want this? Because quite often you're going to find the chairs or their hook things they use to put their poles in. You bring those up, mm-hmm. give them to the guys. They don't care what you do as long as you start giving them stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, you become a resource. They start looking for you. Next time you're you're there at the pier, they're going to say, hey, I lost my – I've had that happen before oh, yes. at the pier. You know, hey, I, I lost my fishing pole out here three weeks ago. Can you get it? Yeah, can and you I'm, find And it? I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll look for it. <laughs> Most likely it's been long gone by that point in time. But, uh, well, I tell yeah, you what, it's, it's worth doing that. Go ahead. Help, out the, help the fishermen. I've gone out there before, brought something up. One of the guys who's not doing I mean, you're not catching anything. So he said, I'll follow you down the line if you have any other stuff. So he follows me the whole pure down. <laughs> So I find something <laughs> I give to him. Hey, yeah. It, I mean, for a little bit of effort on his uh, part, he's got uh, some new gear or new to him. Well, right. if you're, you're always going to find a lure or something. That's a couple of bucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a couple of bucks. And you're always going to find those 10-foot nets with the the 10-foot pole with the net. Because mm-hmm. when they had the fish, the damn thing pulled the net in. Yeah. yeah you find we, we, a string or a fish. With the leaders on it, yeah, yep. you'll always find stuff. Yeah, there's, you're not looking if you don't find it. Uh, it's been a while since I've had a golf ball. Yeah, I oh, didn't see any like, when we did the uh, Rockaway. I was going to say you didn't see any, did you? No, it wasn't official. Is it? Is this because of the virus? Can we blame the virus on no official dives? Well, I don't. I don't think that really counts when you're on a shipwreck. As long as you find the shipwreck, you're good. Oh, okay. Is that that counts then? Because yeah, we we frequently have found golf balls in the shipwreck, and you're like, "How'd that get out here?" But I or think they just move along the the bottom, and that just happens to be the low spot. I just think somebody put that bowling ball on the Havana, though. I don't think that drifted in. Have yeah, you seen that one? I have not seen that one, but that would if you, if that you would make sense. Up, you can toss it back and forth. It's like a medicine ball. On- <laughs> so when you see it, try it. And uh, nothing else, pick it up and toss it, and you'll see. It's like, yeah. oh, well, that's not too bad. I'll have to try that. Well, hopefully everybody's enjoying the program. Uh, you know, everybody's also doing well and staying healthy. Uh, we understand that many of you are not in a position where you can help out the program, but if you are, we certainly could would appreciate the support. You can head on over to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Click on over to Patreon. $3 or more gets you early access to the show notes of the days that we record. We'd certainly appreciate it. We understand if you can't, if you're not in a position where you can do it. Uh, In that case, just tell a friend about the program. Listen with a friend. Make a dive buddy. Also, if you could leave us some reviews on whatever platform of choice you're using, whether that's iTunes, Google Play, and many of the the apps were on Spotify. Uh, we we used to be on Stitcher, but Stitcher stopped updating it, and they're really not doing a whole lot of support. So, uh, you know, if you're well, if you're if you're on Stitcher, you're probably not hearing this because I think they I don't think they've thought we've recorded in a few years now. But on Twitter at Scuba Obsessed, uh, Twitter's kind of a like the comments at the end of a website uh, a little sketchy. Uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg needs more information from you. So that's another way of, of following along. You got anything you want to plug Mac? 
Um, just looking at my calendar. No, other than the 30th, if uh, you're in our neighborhood and you want to do the Tankful Tuesday, yeah, that'll be your next opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, head on over to the we are Mud sp- Club page, Michigan Underwater Divers. If you search for that on Facebook and request to join, there will be some questions you have to answer. And if you're listening to the program and you're pretty smart, I expect you'll answer them correctly to where you can get an invite into the page. It is a closed group. Only because if we don't, then we have a bunch of people in there spamming. Oh, you know what we forgot? We did have some uh, potentially cool uh, scuba gear. Let's go cover that real quick. Okay. Uh, so one was the, yeah, we we, uh, we had the ocean-friendly disinfectant dive gear. And this one is from, uh, what, where did you get this one from? Is that the? Undercurrent. Uh, undercurrent. Uh, and they undercurrent. Got Dan, man. Oh, yeah. that was one by the um, the ship that took you off the the, uh, the cattle boat people. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they said that they don't normally promote dive products, but with the anxiety surrounding the cleanliness dive kit and COVID nineteen, they wanted to point point out that Fourth Element, in cooper- cooperation with the dive medic, has introduced a disinfectant called Good to Dive that uses powerful oxidizing agents that leaves a solution that can be safely discarded without damaging the aquatic environment, effective in both fresh and salt water and available in a powder form that can be used safely to disinfect masks, regulators, and BCs. They said, just make sure you don't inject it. Uh, and that makes sense. Uh, I did visit the the website, uh, which is goodtodive.com. And unfortunately, they're not currently shipping to the United States. It's just the UK and the European Union at this point so uh they're probably there's some fda type of things they probably didn't want to deal with and if you're not able to meet the demand in your local market no sense in expanding overseas and then let's see if i can put this into the chat room uh but you posted this one on facebook mac and i just had to steal it Uh, this is a piece of dive gear and the company that did it is called Healthways. Which, what was Healthway? Were they? Uh, uh, they had regulators and everything. I mean, I'm looking at their their logo, and their logo is almost like it's a. Uh, I can't remember who bought them out. Yeah, but that logo looked like they were in the medical equipment. So, is it a case where they were doing one thing and just kind of? We're in the right spot at the right time. But it's a vintage ad, which I love all these vintages. I'd, I'd love to put together a, and the copyright, I could probably never publish it, but just a a book of just all these vintage dive gear ads that were out there. And it has that 50s, 60s style. And it says, here at last, Healthway is the first in water sport, now brings you snark, snark care. S-N-O-R-K-A-I-R. So it's supposed to be snork and air put together. And it's $39.95 complete. But you're going to have to explain how this works because it is a little bizarre. So is this like a spare air combined with a snorkel? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> the, the funny, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff back then. It's like training. What training? Right. You didn't have to be a diver for that. Be a snork, 
it allows you to okay. go down and then you could use it. It's like having a pony bottle because you could get 15 minutes of air on it. So you are yeah. basically scuba diving. Yeah, uh, they're showing a yoke connection on it. I do not remember how yeah. you turned one off and used the mouthpiece for the for the tank. That would be bizarre, though, wouldn't it? Because they're not showing a regulator on it. So that wouldn't be balanced. It would be whatever pressure was coming out of there. Well, that would be just like your spare air is. Think of a spare air tank. Incorporate uh-huh. that and a snorkel. Yeah. Healthway is the world's most complete line of water sports and sports diving equipment. So $39, I'm imagining that would be like $180 now, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, my, my kids, are, I, I think that just from when I was a teenager to them now, everything's about doubled. I'm still cheapskate. I was a cheapskate as a, as a teenager, and it doesn't get any better. But, yeah, I thought that was interesting. I like those old. Maybe maybe we'll search for more of these and then put them on in the show. But I think we're to that time of the show. Are, are you ready? Ever ready. Yep. Okay. And this one may not be quite as bad as normal, or it may be so bad I just didn't in denial. But here you go. One day, Einstein has to speak at an important science conference. On the way there, he tells his driver that he looks a bit like him. I'm sick of all these conferences. I always say the same thing over and over. The diver agrees. You're right. As your driver, I attend them all. And every time, uh, even though I don't know anything about science, I could give the conference in your place. Einstein says, that's a great idea. Let's switch places then. So they switch clothes, and as soon as they arrive, the diver dressed in Einstein's clothes goes to the stage and starts giving his usual speech, while the real Einstein, dressed as the car driver, attends it. But in the crowd, there's one scientist who wants to impress everyone and thinks of a very difficult question to ask Einstein, hoping he would not be able to respond. So this guy stands up and interrupts the conference by posting his very difficult question. The whole room goes silence, holding their breath, waiting for the response. The driver looks at him dead in the eyes and says, Sir, your question is so easy to answer that I'm going to let my driver reply to you for me. I guess not. (laughs) You guess not what? (laughs) I have to. Was that bad? I I got sidetracked. And I posted two pictures of not a diagram, but of the actual snorkel and stuff, plus the mouthpiece uh-huh. snorkel, so you can look at it. Take a look at uh, at the site. Oh wow! Now it makes more sense when you look so, at the picture and you blow it up. Uh huh. Yeah. If you look at the mouthpiece, there's a, like a button in there. I don't know if you move that with your tongue. That must be the uh, device that initiates. The air coming into your lung. But I'm trying to see what the reduction in pressure. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, hmm. That will, will challenge one of those. Uh, if you're a vintage gear diver uh, and you've got one of these, let us know. I, I'd like to have, I had a mask with the two snorkel coming out of the sides. 
generally you've seen the one with the one snorkel. I'd love to find one of those masks again. But 281 bucks is what you can pay for. Pretty cool though, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Not sure that I would actually, my cheapskate self would actually buy one. Well, it back, is certainly interesting. Back in the day, come on. That'd be cutting edge. So, on that note, uh, go out there and get wet. And stay safe.